message from Valley Bible Fellowship. It is our sincere prayer that you're richly blessed through the ministry of the Word. For more information about VBF, visit our website at vbf.org. Now, here's Pastor Ron Bietti. Aren't they cute? I was back there looking at all of our cute babies. How are you all doing? I've already been back there and preached my sermon to all those people in the backstage, so. I couldn't decide. I was in between two different messages today. So I'm going to do both of them. Uh, I'm going to pick up Peter, and I'll be really short. Tonight, I got a prophecy update I've got to give you. I've got to give it to you. It's coming down in Ukraine right now, I'm telling you. Does it fit into Bible prophecy? Yes. Well, let me stop talking and let me get with this. If they get the stool out here, I'd appreciate it, guys. Uh, if you could put the stool right at the right. Let's pray right here. Father God, Lord, I try to walk by the Spirit, and I feel like you've told me that I'm to speak two short messages today. Help me to be short. Help me to get out what you put in my heart. And I thank you ahead of time for that. In Jesus' name, and everybody say amen. Two weeks ago, I spoke to you about the value of living seeds and how that these living seeds, once planted, they grow in us. Today, we're going to change the metaphor to living stones. Now, I was wanting to go through this whole text, but because I was so excited about this prophecy update, I'm just going to take one verse. As we work our way through Peter, now we've been in the book of Peter, what now, already several months, and we're still in chapter, just starting chapter 2. But let's look at one verse here this morning, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 4. And coming to him as to a living stone, say with me, living stone, which has been rejected by men, but is choice and precious in the sight of our God. Now, the first thing I want to talk to you about is we are compared to living stones. One of the first places in Scripture where we see a significant mention of a stone is in Genesis 28. Now, you've got to be familiar with the rule of first mention. Once something's mentioned first in Scripture, you kind of play off of that as you look at that same term or idea through the rest of Scripture. Genesis 28, Jacob steals the blessing from his brother, and his brother holds a grudge against him and says, I'm going to kill you. So mom and dad bring Jacob in, and they said, we're going to send you away for a while to your relative's house until your brother cools down. And they said something. I like to read in between lines. They said, we want you to find a wife while you're there, and our God will bless you. Oh, don't you like that? Our God will make it happen. We've taught you right. Go get a wife, and God will bless you. Now, on his way to his relative's place, he camps out at night, and it says he took a stone and used it for a pillow. What a stud. 
gosh. I'm sure he patted it. I mean, is that what they did in those days? While he's sleeping, he has a dream, and there's a ladder right where he's at, a ladder going up into the heavenlies, and angels are ascending and descending on that ladder. And as he's dreaming this, and it's more than a dream, I'm sure. It's almost like a vision or revelation. God appears and speaks to him and says, the land you're on, I'm giving it to you and all of your family from here on out. This is going to be your land, and I'm going to bless all of you in the land. So God has a conversation with him. He wakes up amazed. Look at Genesis 28, 15 through 17. God's speaking to Jacob in this dream. Behold, I'm with you, and I'll keep you wherever you go, and I'll bring you back to the land, for I'll not leave you until I've done what I promised you. Then Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, Surely the Lord's in this place, and I didn't know it. He was afraid and said, How awesome is this place? This is none other than the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven. And so then what he does, he takes that rock that he was sleeping on, and he builds an altar out of the stone. And we can go through the Bible and see patriarch after patriarch that when God does a miracle and God shows up, whenever there's a God story, they would take a stone and make an altar. Why? So when anybody traveled through that area or their kids were were more grown up and they saw the stone, they'd say, what does this mean? And they'd tell them the God story. This is the place God spoke. This is the place where God healed. This is the place where God did this and that. If I could have done this, and I should have, you could walk around this campus and see stones everywhere. You walk out into the CE checkout area, and you see a big stone. This is where Pastor Ron said he was quitting the ministry, and God showed up and blew him away and said, you will not quit. This happened right here. You go out in the parking lot, see a big stone. This is the, the, the place where two people came and spoke to Ron, and it was a miracle. God appeared and said, throw away your chemotherapy. I'm going to heal you. Happened out there. You could follow me through all the houses I've had, and there's stones. God showed up here, and I mean this was a miracle happened here. A miracle happened there. See, we are stones, but we're living stones. Our stories should have all kinds of God stories in them. We should be an altar in ourselves. So we're not just a stone that commemorates miracles that God has done, but we're a living, moving stone that tells everybody our God stories. Now, let's look at the second one. Jesus, in our text, is a rejected stone. Now, look at the Greek word for rejected. It's to make void, to nullify, to spurn, refuse, render of no effect. Now, it goes on to say, and we'll see in our text next week, that this Jesus, this stone that they rejected, is an offense to the people, and it's a stumbling block. In other words, it kind of gives us the picture that it's in the way of everybody, and they have to go around it or whatever. And when you think about what God said in the Word, that when the Holy Spirit comes, He'll convict people of their sin. He convicts everyone in the world of their sin. They either 
receive him as a savior or they reject him. But he makes sure that everyone has a chance. Now, I believe, it's my opinion, that more people would come to Christ quicker if we as believers were doing two things. Number one, praying fervently for those people's salvation every day. Taking authority over the spirits that blind them, praying that they would influence in their lives that would speak to them, praying all this stuff. If we prayed, I mean fervently every day, we could probably get our loved ones saved. The second thing that we could do, the second thing we could do to ensure the salvation of our loved ones, that they would come to Christ quicker, is model more effectively biblical Christianity. A lot of people are not getting saved because of Christians. What was it? Was it Gandhi who said, it's the Savior that you follow, I like him. I still like the Christians. Something to that effect. Don't keep that word for word. But a lot of us, not a lot of us, but a lot of Christians are bad advertisements for God. If we really modeled, I mean biblical Christianity. I read an article this week in Charisma Magazine And it was about the doctrine of prosperity. When I saw the article, my first reaction was to not read it because most of the Pentecostal American doctrines on prosperity are perverted, they're twisted, they're exaggerated. It's a bunch of, you know, blab it and grab it, and I don't even like to usually read about it. But I picked this article, and I thought, I'm going to read it. And this young man had a pretty good perspective. I agreed with more stuff than I disagreed with. Can I tell you, prosperity for the believer is biblical? It's biblical. It's in the Bible. You can't get around it. Let me read you some verses. 3 John 1 and 2. Now, this is John's prayer. Beloved, I pray that in all respects... Financially, health-wise, relationally, I pray in all respects that you may prosper and be in good health just as your soul prospers. There's a connection. Look at Joshua 1 and 8. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do according to what is written in it, for then you'll make your way prosperous and you will have success. That's a promise. That's the Word of God. 2 Corinthians 9 and 8. And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that always having all sufficiency in everything, you may be in abundance for every good deed. You may have an abundance. Look at Luke 6, 38. Give, and then it'll be given to you. Give mercy. You'll get a lot of mercy. Give grace, you'll get a lot of grace. Give peace, and you'll have a lot of peace. Give of your finances, and you'll never be without. In Deuteronomy 28, it says, well, let's finish this. Give it will be given to you. They will pour into your lap a good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. For by your standard of measure, it will be measured back to you. What do you need? What do you have a lack of? Give some of that. In Deuteronomy 28, it says, 
that if we obey the Lord, then all these blessings will come upon you and overtake you. And then it gives a long list of blessings. Psalms 1, 1 through 3. How blessed is the man or woman who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked. Why? Because if you walk in the counsel of the wicked, you'll be doing wrong things. You'll be doing things that sabotage your success. Nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers. But his delight or her delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law, he meditates day and night. He will be and she will be like a tree firmly planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in its season. Do you get that? Yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. Does not wither. And in whatever he does, he prospers. Here's the problem. American Christians have got a hold of this. A lot of, we call them blab it, grab it preachers. Name it and claim it. And, and, and they've made this, distorted this so much, it's kind of like you're to be prosperous and have your Lamborghinis and your Rolex watches and your planes, boats, and trains. It doesn't say that. But it does promise in the Bible that God will supply us with whatever we need to accomplish his assignment on earth. Can I say that again? Your resources will be proportionate to your assignment. I, I, I haven't got time. I've got to watch the clock closely. But God has promised me, personally spoken to me. He told me some time back, when we were down in Mexico, we needed a place to stay at, and he provided a posada for us. Some of you know that God story. And he told me, he said, wherever you go to preach the gospel, I will make sure you have everything you need to preach it. Do you know what it even says? It even says that when you're on assignment for me, when you're on assignment for me, even if you eat, eat or drink any deadly poison, it'll not harm you. I, I tell my wife that every time she cooks something and sets it over. I say, I'm on assignment from God. <laughs> now my wife is a jewel. Now, stay with me. I'm taking you somewhere. Margaret Thatcher said something I like. She said, no one would have remembered the Good Samaritan if he only had good intentions. In Isaiah 58, the chapter we're told to build this church on, he said that we are to go out and find the orphans, find the widows, find the naked, find the hungry, find the poor, and help them. And when we do that, it will assure us that we'll never be in that situation. Stay with me. 2 Corinthians 9, 8. God is able to make all grace abound to you. We already read that. So that always have an all-sufficiency in everything. You may have an abundance for every good deed. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You'll be enriched in everything. Say with me, everything. For all liberality, there's a reason for it, which through us is producing thanksgiving to God. Now, this chapter is about finances. Look at it. It is. It has a lot to do with finances. Now, stay with me. Let me give you the definition of poverty according to Oxford 
the state of being inferior in quality or insufficient in amount. I truly believe that believers, every believer, should finally come to a place where you have enough to meet your needs and some left over to give. Now, listen to me. If you don't hear this preached, you won't put faith in it. This has to be preached. We're to go out and minister to the poor. Minister to the poor. We're to have a heart for the poor. We're to help the poor. But we're to get them saved so they won't have to be poor anymore neither. That's not the only reason, but they won't. Because when they get saved, they're supposed to come into God's healing fold. They're supposed to come to a place where they'll start having enough for their needs. And they can start giving and planning too. That's the whole idea. I know this sounds foreign to some of you because you've heard this subject perverted so much. Now, this is going to look different for people of different cultures and countries. For example, let's take someone living in Africa. Might have a one-bedroom grass hut, six chickens, one camel, and a small garden. If that person has enough from those things to feed their family and take care of their family and give away to someone else, they are prosperous. According to the Bible, they're prosperous. They have prosperity. Now, think about this. Why would God tell us it's more blessed to give than receive if we had nothing to give? Why would he do that? Jehovah Jireh, he is our provider. Now, he's going to be leading and guiding you. It's important you know God's will. This is God's will for you. What, that you have Rolex watches and Lambert? No, no, that you have enough to meet your needs and enough left over to help the poor. Now, faith cometh by hearing, hearing by the word of God. When you hear this, you receive it, and it'll start affecting the way you live. Now, listen to me. This is important that we get this stuff and preach this stuff, biblically speaking. I sat with a group of college kids in Thousand Oaks. They have a pretty good college group down there. And I'm going to do the same thing I did with them I'll do with you right now. I sat and looked at them, and these kids don't know me from Adam. I said, I want to start with a question. Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believe? Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believe? Did you? I'm not so sure Christians can all answer that affirmatively. Did you receive? The Holy Spirit is active. He's going to be talking to you and leading you and changing you and convicting you. A lot of people don't even know the Holy Spirit's alive. And they were supposed to have received him when they got saved. He's living in you. You have to acknowledge him and know that he's there. Now I'm going to try to bring this around a corner and hopefully it'll be through in five minutes. We'll see. Do you all believe in miracles? <laughs> now, the whole idea of the first few verses in the book of First to Peter is that the Holy Spirit's going to be moving in your life. He's going to be sanctifying you. He's going to be protecting you through faith by the power of God. He's going to be doing all this stuff. And then it goes on to Peter says, so be ready for action. Do you get it? 
through God's abundant grace, I found a life with him. And it's worked for 50 years, but it's very vibrant. It's very ongoing. Holy Spirit's always leading. He's guiding. He's speaking. And I want all of you to have that. It's, it, it's there for all of you. Lauren, you have it. Carrie, you have it. Yeah, you have it. I, I know you have it. They just yelled out. <laughs> Steve, you have it. Christy, you have it. Steve Shelley, you have it. Now stay with me. If you know the truth, the truth will set you free. Did you hear me say God wants to make you rich? You didn't hear me say that. I said he wants you. He said I'll supply all of your needs. Didn't he say that? I know Josh got in trouble with Terrence and Paige out of a Bible or something. I don't know. I'm staying away from that. <laughs> but some of you have ripped pages out of your Bible. You choose to believe what you want to believe. And some of these heretics out there have so much perverted scripture and changed it that you don't even want to believe in the truth now. You're his kids. He's a good father. He loves you. He wants your needs met, but he wants you to have enough left over to give. And I could build on that all day. But here's the deal. Once you believe this, you'll start hearing the Holy Spirit sometimes say, to downsize. You hear the Holy Spirit say, you're not tithing and giving, and that's a prerequisite for me to bless you the way I want to bless you. You'll start being open to the Holy Spirit convicting you about your, your buying habits. My buying habits are horrible. Look in my garage. It's ridiculous. <laughs> my kids, I went down and preached in Thousand Oaks a while back. They said, Dad, we knew you wouldn't take anything from our church. I won't take anything when I speak somewhere. I went and spoke somewhere back in Texas the other day, and instead of taking from that small church, I, we brought a $3,000 tithe check to give to them. And my daughter said, I knew you wouldn't take anything, so we bought you an Amazon gift card. And now mom can't gripe at you anymore when you're ordering stuff. I have had more fun with that Amazon gift card. I mean, I'm having a ball. It's like... That's the best thing in the world to give somebody. He'll start supernaturally giving you a spirit of contentment. Look for it. It'll come supernaturally. He'll supernaturally begin to convict you to be a better employee. When you're a better employee and you follow what God's saying, you probably get raises that way. You get jobs. You understand when you believe this stuff, you'll start putting faith in it. It'll start working. Uh, He'll start healing your marriage by talking to you, and you won't have to pay child. God bless some of you, man. You have screwed up more marriages than I've ever seen. Some of you on your fourth and fifth marriage, look in the mirror. Your problem is that guy looking back at you in the mirror. It's not the women. It's you. I love you to death, but some of you shock me. You can just screw up any blessing God gives you some way. You'll find a way. <laughs> we'll constantly see them in our lives. See, my deal with their health. I've had two threatening cancers, and God keeps leading me. He told me the other day, eat a lot of mushrooms, a lot of mushrooms. And I did, and all cancer numbers start going crazy good. Some people say that cancer is a fungus, some of it, and it might be. 
I told you I couldn't walk. I was walking like this for a long time. God said, start drinking water. It was God. It came from God. I can give you the God stories. And man, since I started drinking water, wow. Because God said, I know something you don't. All those poisonous uh, leukemia medicines and stuff you're putting in your body, you've got to flush them through real quick, Ron. I mean, he's talking to me all the time. It's crazy. <sighs> Anything you ask me about, I probably have a God story connected to it. Houses, cars, health. Why? Because I seek God in all of this. Now, see, here's the deal. When I start modeling this to a non-believer world, they're going to be tempted to think one of two things. Either number one is you're crazy and need professional help. Or you found something, and I think I might need it. And hopefully that'll be it. But we must model it. Didn't the Bible say that? Let your light shine before men in such a way they'll see your good works, and who will they glorify? Him. They'll know it's not coming from you. Okay, I'm right on time. Look at Matthew 18 and 3. And he said, truly, truly, I say to you, unless you repent, change and turn about, and become like a little child, trusting, lowly, loving, forgiving, you can never enter the kingdom of heaven at all. You hang around me for a while, and my behavior would probably insult some of your intelligences. I am so childlike, but it's works. Look at Matthew 18, 3 in the message. I'm telling you, once and for all, that unless you return to square one and start over like children, you're not even going to get a look at the kingdom, let alone get in. I've had two cancers, life-threatening. What do I do? First thing, I go to God and say, God, I'm going to wait till I hear you. Am I going to die of this one or live? So far, he's told me on both of them, you're going to live. I'm going to make sure you live because you're not through with your assignment. Uh, every week, do you realize, I've done this for, what, 47 years? I have to go to bed every night begging the Holy Spirit to help me because I don't know how to do this. You would think I do. I don't know how to do this. If you get anything good out of the sermon at all, it's all because of him, not me, because I can't do it. Last night, I woke up three times, 3.30 this morning, said, Holy Spirit, help me, help me, help me. You've been faithful to do it for 47 years. Give me another sermon. Give me another sermon. I could go on and on. Almost weekly, God puts people on my heart. I reach out, bingo. I'm going to pick up here next week. Now we're going to do a prophecy update real quickly. Are you ready? God's been showing me this stuff. Now the Bible says God does nothing until he shows his prophets first. I hope I can be in that category. We need to pause and pray for Ukraine. I read an article a few days ago in the headlines that said, Christians in Ukraine in face of the invasion say, prayer is our weapon. Right now, Father God, we ask you to first of all, to seek out all your kids and put a protective shield over every one of them. And Lord, put faith in their heart we pray, Lord God, and we need to pray everything. I pray that you'd protect all the Ukrainian soldiers. And Lord, I pray you'd protect the Russian soldiers that don't even want to be there. Some of those young men don't want to be there. And they're your kids. Reach out, God, and, and, and help your kids. Send angels out to be with every one of them. Protect the children. And Lord, please cause this war to be over with quickly. 
Show us through the week how to lift up our brothers and sisters out there, Lord. Show us. And we thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Now, stay with me. I'm going to be quick. If we interpret correctly what Putin just said a few days ago, he said, if any other country tries to get into this war, we will do something to you like it's never been done in the history of the world before. And he was implying everybody thinks to nuclear weapons. You stay out of helping Ukraine. And if you don't, you will pay the price. His threats have succeeded. No one's going in there. The United States even said, we don't want a war with Russia. We don't want a war with them. We don't want to start World War III. And so everybody's staying out. But the economic sanctions we put in place against Russia are working. Now, if you've been reading about them, some of Russia's elite are being hit really badly in their pocketbooks right now. They're losing their yachts, their vacation homes, their bank accounts. In fact, one billionaire, Roman Abramovich, he's selling his football club and starting a foundation to help the victims of war in Ukraine. Russian billionaire Mikhail Deripaska has broken ranks with the Kremlin and called for an end to the Russian war in Ukraine. How much influence is this having? I guess we'll have to wait to see. But I've been asked the question, does this war in Ukraine, does it have any biblical significance? Yes, I really believe so. Is it mentioned in the Bible? I, I, no, it isn't. But I believe it's a part of the end time scenario. I believe it's quite possible that this war right now is the, it's the catalyst for the war in Ezekiel 38 and 39. And I'll tell you why in a moment. It could play a big role in that war. Look at Ezekiel 38, 10 through 12. Thus says the Lord God, and this is talking about one of the last battles before Armageddon. It's going to be a big war that's going to really put everything in place. It will come about on that day that thoughts will come into your mind. It's talking about the countries to the north, which we believe is Russia, possibly Turkey. That thoughts will come into your mind and you'll devise an evil plan. And you will say, I will go up against the land of unwalled villages. I will go against those who are at rest that live securely, all of them without walls and having no bars or gates. And get this really well right here. Why are these countries going to attack Israel? This is important. To capture spoil. That's important. And to seize plunder. To turn your hand against the waste places which are now inhabited. That could be referring to the Golden Heights. And against the people who are gathered from the nations who have acquired cattle and goods and who live at the center of the world. Look at this map of Israel. The center of the world. Isn't that interesting, written back in those days? Now, we know that Russia, known as Magog and Gog in the Bible, they're going to be part of this team of countries that's going to attack Israel. 
Now, if you've read and studied Ezekiel 38 and 39, you'll notice something. In this last big war, or the second to the last big war that happens in the Middle East, America is never mentioned. Now, if we were a world power, and we are a world power today, and I do believe we're on the verge of this, why aren't we mentioned at all in that war? Iran is mentioned. We believe that Russia is mentioned. Libya is mentioned. Quite possibly, we believe Turkey is mentioned. We believe Germany might be mentioned, but not the USA. There's one remote place in Ezekiel 38 where the USA might be mentioned as a young lion, and it says you'll be protesting. What you're doing is wrong. We're going to cut off more more, more of your finances. We're going to do sanctions. Now, I have predicted this for decades. I said, there's going to come a day where we're going to have a weak government, and we're going to be more internally focused, and we're going to refuse to get involved in other wars. And I think we might be there. Our politicians are so inclined to get the votes, to please the people. Now, The two reasons that we're giving right now for not being involved in this war, and stay with me, is number one, it's not worth starting World War III. It's not worth what's going to happen to us if we fight Russia. But the second reason that we say we're not entering the war is Ukraine is not a part of NATO. We're not obligated. Guess what? Israel's not a part of NATO neither. Keep that in mind. Could it be that right now, preparing for this war in Ezekiel 38, 39, Russia's being tremendously encouraged by the fact that no one's coming to Ukraine's aid. That has to encourage them. They're thinking ahead that when this war of Ezekiel 38 and 39 comes, we'll even have more of a legal right to do it Because if we attack the Golan Heights, United Nations says the Golan Heights belongs to Syria, no one's going to come against us. This could all be playing into biblical prophecy. Now, I was very intrigued by a statement that Russia made 10 days ago. They're on the verge of a war with Ukraine, and all their minds and thoughts on Ukraine, that's all they should be thinking about anyway. And they made a statement to Israel. We just want you to know that Golan Heights doesn't belong to you. Why, Why is that on their mind when they're attacking Ukraine? That the Golan Heights does not belong to Israel. They just, right out of their mouth, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Now, to me, all this might be linked together. Stay with me. If Russia is sincerely being hurt by these economic sanctions, which it seems to indicate they are, in the future, it might be more tempting for them to attack Israel to get some of their monetary power back. Syria, we know, wants to attack Israel for many reasons. First of all, the Golan Heights said, or the United Nations said the Golan Heights still belongs to them. It doesn't belong to Israel. Although Israel has a lot of settlements up there. The Druids are up there. Now think about it. If you possessed a $10 million house, let's say a $10 million house in Bakersfield, and legally our government has said it belongs to you and not the people living in it, you'd probably go after it, wouldn't you? You'd probably go after it. I mean, the government's on your side. So here's the deal. I think that Syria 
And Russia's in Syria right now. God pulled them out of the northern parts for the last days. He's got them down there. They have bases in, in Syria. Iran, the nation that has been, has been spoken of in Ezekiel 38 and 39 as one of the nations that will come with, is with Russia to invade Israel. They're there with them. And so Syria wants the Golden Heights back because they just discovered approximately one billion barrels of oil buried in the Golden Heights. So that's one reason they want it. Number two, Israel has now discovered all these natural gas resources in the sea. They'd like to have that too. Plus, the Golden Heights provides water for that arid area over there. They want the water. And fourthly, it's a strategic place for any country to want because it's up on the hill and it overlooks Syria and Israel. And they want that land. Iran hates Israel. They have a reason to go in with a passion. This really came to focus in 1979 in the Islamic Revolution. I've got quote after quote of Iranian presidents and officials saying, we will not rest till Israel is driven off into the ocean and doesn't exist anymore. What about Russia? They want the spoils. Now listen, listen, this gets better. If Russia continues to be hurt by these sanctions, they're going to want to get some of their monetary gain back. Now keep in mind, Russia right now is the largest supplier of natural gas to Europe. The largest supplier. It's important to the Russian economy that they continue to be the largest supplier of natural gas to Europe. After the sanctions, it'll even be more important. So think about it. Russia comes out of these sanctions and they're hit hard economically. But they still have their oil lines going into Europe, and they're the largest supplier of natural gas to Europe. And if you add to that fact that Israel, a few years ago, started a pipeline, they just recently discovered natural gas. They have built a partial pipeline that was going to go all the way into Europe, and Israel wants to be Europe's next supplier of natural gas. Now, what do you think Russia's thinking about that? Russia's going, wait, 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 wait. We've already been hurt bad enough with these sanctions. You're not, Israel, you're not going to come in and compete with us, supplying Europe with natural gas. Putin's sitting there at the faucet right now. He's turning it on and off. He's manipulating. Oh, listen to what, this is so cool, what the Jerusalem Post said just a few days ago. With Europe realizing its complete dependency on Russian gas, if played with the right cards, the crisis in Ukraine could be an opportunity for Israel's gas exportations to all of Europe. That's adding insult to injury. So we're going to tick Russia off. I mean, Russia is in a place of great jeopardy right now. Russia is known as the, the bear. That's their symbol. Right now, the bear is being wounded real seriously. A wounded bear is not fun to mess with, and they're being wounded. It's all right there in the Bible. You, you, you read the news, and you read the Bible alongside of one another, and it goes hand in hand. CNBC, CNBC said, the West is trying to destroy Russia's economy, and the analysts think it could very well succeed. 
This has to happen. I mean, think about it. There's no way I don't think this isn't going to happen. Russia is being hurt badly. This had to happen. They had to have a reason, a motivation to say, we're going to go into Israel, man. We're bringing Iran with us. We're bringing Libya with us. All the nations mentioned Ezekiel 38, 39. And we're going to get some of the spoils back. And we've got a legal right to do it. I mean, why wouldn't you do it? Plus, Israel's saying, we've got to stop Israel at all costs of getting that pipeline finished into Europe. If they do, then we're, we're doubly dead. We have no more finances. And believe me, it's all coming down because the Bible said. Let me read three verses, then I'm out of here. Matthew 24, 14. This gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all the nations, and then the end will come. It's been preached. Because of the internet, it's been preached in the whole world. It says, then the what will come? The end. Luke 21, 28. But when these things begin to take place, straighten up, lift up your heads, because your redemption is drawing near. I've said it, and I don't want to be a broken record, but why is everything happening at the same moment? One world currency was prophesied in the Bible. Cryptocurrency all of a sudden becomes very popular out of nowhere, and it's not going anywhere. I mean, why? Let's take a roll call. All the nations have aligned themselves with Bible prophecy. China, here. Iran, here. Russia, here. Turkey, Germany, here, here. United States of America, here. We all have taken up our roles. We're on the world stage, and we've all got in our proper place. We're just waiting for it to say, action. It's here. No more time to play games with God. Look what it says in Matthew 24, 22. In fact, unless that time, talk about the last days of calamity, is not shortened, not a single person will survive but it'll be shortened for the sake of God's chosen ones. We can't go much longer. Some knucklehead's going to hit a button and start a nuclear war. And if that doesn't get you, the electric cars are going to get you. <laughs> and if that doesn't get you, the 5G towers next to your house are going to get you. God's looking down. And he's saying, you know what? It's coming to an end. If left alone much longer, you're going to all destroy one another. And it can't happen because I'm going to come back and change everything. I mean, I preach prophecy. For decades, I preach prophecy. But never have I seen a day like this when the birth pains are starting to go like this. Jesus is coming back. It's going to be the biggest world event in the history of our world. Even the UFOs, I kind of think that's even going to play into this. It says when the rapture happens, the world will believe a lie and they'll go, hey, they went with those UFOs, man. Why is all this happening? I got to come back next week because I'm five minutes over time. Can I come back next week? We should end with a song. We don't have time today. We're going to pray our way out. Just Father God right now, I pray that every believer in this place will start getting right with God. I pray that if we're not serving, we'll begin to serve. If we're not giving, we'll begin to give. Lord, if we're not praying for our unsaved loved ones, we're going to start praying intensely for them. Father God, we're warning the church here and the whole world that Jesus is coming back.
So, Lord, get us ready. Cause us to get excited. Cause us to pray according to the Spirit. If you're here today, you've never been born again, just stand to your feet. If you haven't been born again, stand up. I'm going to pray over you, and you're going to leave here a different person. If you've never been born again, say, Pastor, I don't care who knows. i got to get right with God. Just boldly stand to your feet. Anybody? Just stand up if you're here. If you, God bless you, sweetheart. Anybody else? Just stand to your feet, and I'm going to pray over you. Yes, back there. Bow over here. Come on, stand up. You, you will leave here a different person. Anybody else? Stand. If you're on the Internet, just go put your, 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 your hand on the internet. Yes, keep standing. I want to be born all over again. I want to get right with God. Now let's all pray. Keep standing. Just keep standing. Now let's all pray together with these bold people that have stood and say, Lord God, today I ask for forgiveness for not serving you. But today I ask that you ascend the Holy Spirit Come and live in my body. Take over. Give me the strength I need to start following Jesus. When I walk out of here today, I'm going to know that I'm now a child of God. Thank you for saving me. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. Love you. See you here, there, in the air. Thank you for listening. We pray that this message has ministered to your heart. If you don't already have a church you call home, we invite you to join us at Valley Bible Fellowship for worship, Bible study, fellowship, and more. We're at 2300 East Brundage Lane in Bakersfield, California, near Mount Vernon and Freeway 58. Reach us by phone at 661-325-2251 or visit our website at vbf.org. Here is I